Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm speaking with Nina Collins, an amazing entrepreneur, author, coach, speaker, and founder of thewolfer.com. Hi, and thanks for joining me, Dr. Susan, on this episode of Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan. I am super excited today because I have an amazing guest who's also a friend, Nina Collins, who will be joining us. And I'm going to just brag on her a little bit by reading a little bit of her bio because it's just too much to believe. Uh, But Nina has consciously chosen to embrace the mantra of raging gracefully, which is also the name of her popular podcast. She's an entrepreneur and former literary agent who's based in Brooklyn, mother to four young adults, and has created a vibrant community of women centered on disrupting social norms around aging. She's channeled her multifaceted career, bringing together a vibrant community of women dedicated to disrupting the taboo and social norms around aging through her social media platform, The Wolfer, which has a reach of 25,000 people, probably more than that now, talking about absolutely everything across the board. And she also wrote this incredible book, and I'm just going to tell you I read it, um, which is something because I've got a stack of books by my bud that I haven't read, but this one called out to me to read, and it's called What Would Virginia Woolf Do? And other questions I ask myself as I attempt to age without apology. And I want to tell anybody who's ever listened to me or cares about anything I say, you need to read this book because it's just frigging hilarious and amazing and goes over everything about what happens when you're over 40. So, hi, Nina. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're so sweet. (laughs) Well, very happy to be here. Yeah. So I'm, we chatted about this. I feel like we, uh, like had twins or something shared some form of life because you came from this totally different background, this amazing literary communication, storytelling background, Columbia, you know, super amazing. And then we'll talk about this too, studied this thing called narrative medicine that I had to look it up because I don't know what that is. But the whole idea around hearing people's stories and, and joining women together in community, I think so fascinating. So you came from that background. I came from like traditional medicine. But we both seem to land on the same key idea about, well, lots of key ideas, but let's talk about a few of them. One of them is about just blowing up the myths and taboos about menopause. And when I read your book, like so many parallels. So how did this happen for you? You, I've told you my menopause story, but what led you to make this shift? Yeah, no, it's so, it is funny, actually, and the more um, I... I think in the last five years, there have been a lot of women starting to really work in this menopause space. And we obviously really bond with each other. As soon as you and I spoke, it was, it was like, we had so many of the same interests. Um, It's special. For me, as you said, I had a background, a literary background, and then I went and got this master's at Columbia in something called narrative medicine, because I was really preoccupied with um, my, my own mother died of breast cancer when she was 46, when I was 19. And she had kept her illness a secret and it was premenopausal breast cancer. And I had been very interested in, I'd say my life had really been defined in a lot of ways by loss, by her loss. And I got, as I got older, particularly interested in how women deal with issues of loss, divorce, death, empty nest, illness. 
And I heard about this program, which is kind of the study of how we tell our stories in the context of death and dying. And it seems so kooky and random, but it just really interested me, basically where I, a place where I could kind of explore illness and death in a legitimized setting, in intellectual setting. And so I did this program not expecting it to lead to anything professional. I really did it more out of just a passion. And when I finished the program, I ended up consulting for a couple of years at a hospital, which was super interesting to me because I love, it's one of the reasons I'm drawn to you. I love medicine and healthcare. I just find it a super interesting world. And I worked at this hospital developing an empathy curriculum for medicine residents, mm, but I was a little important. lost. It was great, but I was a little lost. I basically had a big career in publishing in my 20s and 30s. I was entrepreneurial and I'd had two different businesses. And then in my 40s, basically I got divorced at the end of my 30s went to graduate school, became a narrative medicine consultant, which isn't really a thing. And my kids were starting to kind of leave the nest. I'd had kids when I was really young. So by my early forties, my kids were all kind of about to go to college. And, um, and I really didn't know what the next chapter was going to be for me. And around this time I stopped sleeping well. I was at this point been like 46. My periods were getting kind of spotty and irregular. And, um, I started having that crazy insomnia that happens to a lot of women in perimenopause where I was waking like bolt awake at 4 a.m. That was and the I worst. Always, oh, and worst. I had always been such a good sleeper that I was literally like, some, like I must be dying. Like I didn't know what was wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And I Googled it and figured out that I was in perimenopause, which I don't even think I knew the term at that time. I was like, what? Um, you know, I knew what menopause vaguely was, but um and again, my mom was dead. I didn't really have any role models. I was also super surprised because most of my friends are older than I am because I had I had kids really young. So most of my friends are like five or 10 years older than I am. And I was 46 at the time. And I was like, why has no one told me that this was going to happen? And I was getting like back fat. And no one's talking yet. about it. No one was talking about it. And I was like, I need someone to tell me what this is and where this is going to go. You know, when I went to my doctor, it's the usual story that women in the menopause world now, you know, everyone tells the same story. Like I went to my doctor who I love and she offered to put me on birth control pills or antidepressants. And I was like, mm. that, that can't be the only answer. Um, so that is what started me getting, I basically then created a Facebook community, which I called What Would Virginia Woolf Do? It was completely kind of an inside joke basically my friends are all feminists and big readers and at the time I was reading a lot of Virginia Woolf and Virginia Woolf um, as many listeners may know was a famous you know literary feminist British feminist who killed herself in her 50s she had mental illness and I was not trying to make fun of mental illness but my joke was a little bit like me we're all we're all aging and should we just throw in the towel should we give it yeah. up what would virginia wolf do should we just walk into the river with stones in our pockets and give it up so it was a dark joke um it's sort of what our culture tells us to do really isn't it like this it's yeah. over and i yeah. there's so, so many amazing things you wrote in your book about that this yeah, feeling that well okay your doctor's like well you're fine this is what happens when you're 46 so take an antidepressant and just go walk in the river with some stones in your pocket or whatever just go somewhere else because you're not relevant that's anymore right. you're not visible yeah that's right you totally like my doctor it really amazed me at the time because she's my primary care doctor and she's a woman my age and she's really smart and great and she had no good helpful advice or words of wisdom or she didn't tell me that I should seek out experts like there are so many things you can do to deal with menopause and she did not tell me any of them so I created this community it became unexpectedly really popular like it was just me and my like 40 friends kind of from 
some East Coast, some West Coast. I live in Brooklyn and that's where I started it. And within a couple of years, it grew to like 32,000 women all across the country and the world. And it became this like smart girl place to talk about sex and relationships and our bodies and our growing kids and caring for our parents and, and also culture stuff. Like we talk about books and movies and, and then eventually, and then I wrote the book and then eventually I took the group off of Facebook because Facebook started to make me crazy. And I do kind of believe that basically, well, you can't, ultimately I decided this is, I'm going to turn this into a business and I ended up building our own platform, which is called, we're now called the Wolfer, um, W-O-O-L-F-E-R. Which is an amazing, amazing website. You've got to look at this. There's so much stuff on there. So when I looked at it, I was like, I would have to take two days off just because I wanted to read every article and everything. It's like you could stay on there for months looking at all the information out there, which is so amazing that somebody's doing this. And, and, you know, other women are starting to do this in our community because our doctors, the people that we and I'm a doctor. So I'm you know, I was one of these people who gave useless advice until I went through it myself, um, <laughs> you know, we expect that our doctors are the people who are going to tell us how to get through this. But um, coming back to community, I think it's a, just a matter of supporting each other. And we do need to seek out experts, but this whole idea of having a community of women where it's safe to say these things that uh, yeah. we've been told are not okay to talk about. And then we get this something's wrong with me thing that's so prevalent, like everybody has the idea something's wrong with me because we think we're the only one but turns out you read your book and if you go on one of your uh, podcast episodes or you're on your website you find out you're not alone which is so important yeah i mean it really is there's that joke that we would you know we'd be like is this cancer or is this menopause like they're all <laughs> yeah. happening and in the community and of course we always say to people you know to our members we're not you know no one we're not well some of us are doctors you know we have a lot of doctor members but we're not giving medical advice what we're doing is sharing information supporting each other making everyone feel less alone and then and i've, I've honestly a lot of us have gotten diagnosed from the community I, I once had an episode where i thought i was having a stroke and i posted in the community and, so, and a bunch of people were like, you're having vertigo. <laughs> and yeah. I had gone to the ER and they had like tested me for all these things. No one said I had vertigo. And it was the women in the community who were like, that's vertigo. And they were right. And then I went and got proper treatment and I was better. Um, so it, it is incredibly helpful. These women are super smart and they, you know, we've been around the block. Yeah. And what it's, it, that is so important in this time of life when we can feel so alone and I talk to women all day now about this, and, and it's almost, I mean, without exception, that there's this feeling of being alone and isolated. And then we can actually, and last year didn't help with social isolation, but we can kind of isolate. And you wrote about this in your book. She wrote about everything in this book. But, like, don't do that. Like, we, you know, try not to self-isolate you know, as, as much as we can get out there and continue sharing with other women. Even if your doctor doesn't give you the answers that you need, you know, find a group like the Wolfer is a great start yeah, or yeah, another women's group. Yeah. yeah and I, I found that and um, I've started a smaller thing in Houston, now women's circle, but just found it so amazingly bonding. I, I have to sort of, you know, but nobody wants to leave. It's like, can we just stay? Cause we feel so connected and delicious. And you sort of want to live in that soup all the time. It's wonderful. Right. Where are you in your community? Where do you, where does it live? Is it on Facebook? So we do it on zoom. And actually, um, last month and this on this Thursday coming up, we're going to do it again at my house just with a out because we can do it outside because it's 
warm in Houston, you know, and nice. socially distanced and things like that. But being being able to see people in person has been really nice. Yeah, no, people yeah. really, a woman posted in our community this week that her husband was just diagnosed with Parkinson's. And mm. it really amazed me that like, it's a, it's a place where people, like people, women think to go to the Wolford, they go to this online community to report like immediately the deepest, darkest, hardest stuff. It really is incredibly supportive. It's, yeah. it's kind of mind blowing. Yeah. This, this is a Virginia Woolf quote that you have in your book. Some people go to priests, others to poetry I to my friends. And I, I love that. And I would have thought, well, I don't have that many friends, you know, but but you can find, you know, we have friends, but often we don't talk to our friends about this stuff, or at least I didn't, because we're all, you know, we were also individually thinking something's wrong with me. So we didn't, you know, maybe I thought their marriage was better than mine or their sex life was better. And yeah. But when you can get in a group of women who are all sharing the same thing, it's amazing. And so... My background, like in traditional medicine, is sort of the opposite. I was thinking about the differences between your background and mine, the opposite of storytelling. You know, traditionally trained doctors are not, you know, you've got 10 minutes. The last thing you want is someone to tell you their story, you know, mm-hmm. or, or to really tell you what's actually going on. We just want really quick, you know, <laughs> you've been to lots of these. I'm sure your annual exam is like, oh, hey, how are the kids? You know, a quick pap smear, you know, a little breast exam, have, you know, have a nice day, get your blood drawn on the way out and see you next year and get a mammogram. But nobody's asking how you're feeling. And so, you know, I'm fascinated about this sort of storytelling idea of, you know, sharing and and the narrative medicine, like to me, like the health benefits of storytelling. Well, the idea in narrative medicine is also that it's not just to the benefit of the patient. It's also to the benefit of the care, the health care provider, right? No, absolutely. You know, death and illness in medicine, there's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of really difficult stuff that comes up and our, the stories of our lives show up in our bodies. And the idea that by kind of understanding these stories, we both heal ourselves and yeah, it's very powerful stuff. There's actually a, um, researcher in Texas, I think at University of Texas, I believe, um, James Pennant Baker, who talks about the healing power of storytelling um, and the healing power of writing your story. Mm. He's done a lot of research into it, and, and, and it's part of the basis of narrative medicine. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really- so so countercultural in this environment of you know traditional Western medicine where we don't have any time. Like, right. you know, there's no time for that. Right, and, the electronic record and the, the way insurance. Oh, yeah. And you, you and I are both also coaches. And Nina's a coach, and I am too. And so we do that as well. And you know, coaching is you know really a lot about uh, mindful listening, yeah. Which doctors are not good at. I'll just say. and it's also actually why concierge medicine, while in some ways I'm opposed to it and feel like it's terrible because it's terrible, terrible for people who can't afford it. On the other hand, it's a wonderful thing because for the people who can have it, you are really getting the time that you need to be listened to. I mean, everyone should have the benefit of concierge medicine, essentially. Um, but I can understand its appeal, right? Yeah. Everyone should, everyone deserves to be listened to. Absolutely. Everyone deserves to be listened to. Everyone should have that time. Yeah. And it's really difficult to do as, as a, you know, as a physician, if you're, if you're under, you know, some sort of quota, if you've only got this much time and this many minutes. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's a whole nother, we could talk for hours about the, you know, crisis of, uh, medicine uh, for women in midlife. But um, 
I'm super interested in this idea about community and um, and what you've done to bring women together. So you must have heard, I'm guessing, so many stories of women who have tra- you know, been transformed or benefited from being involved in this type of community. Uh, even my little dipping the toe in it that I'm doing, it, I see people just change just from the experience of being heard or seen. Yeah. 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 I mean, I always tell people, I think that the two ways we've been doing it now for a little over five years. And I think the two things that we've unquestionably helped women with are vaginal atrophy, which I actually didn't even know existed when I started the community. Like, I think it was a year into the community when someone posted and said she couldn't have sex anymore. It was just too painful. And I was like, what? And then, and then it happened to me where I had a bout of painful sex and experienced, you know, used topical estrogen and kind of, I started to really research it and get into it. So vaginal atrophy, the fact that women often don't know what's going to happen, don't know that it's completely a universal, like everyone's, you know, whether they feel it or not, everyone's vagina is aging and there are mm-hmm. effects um, and that there are lots of ways to deal with it. I think that's something we've really helped women with. Um, and the other thing I think is just having better sex and having good sex and kind of asking for what you want. And, you know, we've talked, we talk a lot about sex toys and erectile dysfunction and, um, you know, the sense that a lot of women have when they hit their fifties of like giving fewer fucks, like that sense of Mm -hmm. like, I don't care so much what people think anymore. And I'm now going to ask for what I want and say what I want. And I think helping women understand that that's actually a pretty universal feeling and that it's okay. And that you can start kind of being more articulate about your sexual needs. I think sex becomes less performative, hopefully at this age than it was when we were younger. Um, So a lot of the talking about sex, I think has really, empowered a lot of us and myself included we have like a we have a monday night sex chat i love Um, that it's so great where we just get on zoom and we talk about sex tonight actually the subject is food food and sex i have no idea what will come up every week it's (laughs) last week was blowjobs the week before that was sex and substances I think before that was sex with strangers. You know, every week I think, is anyone going to have anything to say? And then you'd be so surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so it's not a surprise to you that that was my favorite chapter of your book. Because I, you know, I love I love everything in your book. Oh, I I think you're right. I think the sex chapter is the best chapter. Yeah. Well, it's my favorite because, that you know, I love talking about sex. That's what I do. And this is sexually woke. Um, And actually... I started highlighting this book and then it became sort of ridiculous because I was like coloring the whole thing yellow. So I just sort of stopped and just stopped doing that and just circled a few things. <laughs> but, um, so you and I are in the same space about that, which I love. And it's, it's shocking and outrageous that we have to get our information about vaginal dryness from someone other than our, I don't know, our mom should teach us, our school should teach us, and our doctor should teach us, but nobody's telling us this. And so... <laughs> Um, we we find out about it from our girlfriends. This is the best kept secret in the world. It's I know so it's like, but um, so why why do people not talk about it? Do you think it's just shame or just this? I think it's wrong shame. But I, yeah. like when I was writing that book, I had to think of think about that, and I concluded basically it's just really simple. Like aging in our culture for women is kind of not allowed. It's loaded with a lot of ridiculous shame. Um, you know, we're supposed to try and be beautiful and youthful and have perky boobs and, you know, for our whole lives. And it's not realistic. It's a stupid, horrible pressure that society puts on us. And I think it I think it really does keep women from talking about it because they're embarrassed. Yeah. And they shouldn't be. And that's one of our big goals. Like we have nothing to be embarrassed about. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that. And, I, you know, it's in the title of your book, too, about not not apologizing. It happens. And 
yeah, I think if I didn't know about it and I started having vaginal dryness and sex hurt, I'm not going to tell anyone because I think something's wrong with me. This goes back to that idea of being alone. And um, this idea that you're sharing, which I love, and I'm trying to share it with my book, too, about – and I – you know, called my book Sexually Woke because I had experienced this idea of waking up out of this um, fog of believing all that crap, you know, and then just realizing that sex can be better than ever because of all the things you said. You've got some wisdom. You've maybe got a little bit more time. You're not ashamed anymore and you can, you know, your own body and you can ask for what you want. And there's uh, some so many really good quotes in your book about I that. love your book, too, by the way. I thought your book was fantastic. And that's how we met. I read about it and called you. I just thought it was great. Well, probably because we agree. It's great to be talking to someone who agrees with everything <laughs> you say, isn't it? Because a lot of people probably hate it. But we... <laughs> It's like uh, talking in an echo chamber. But so I'm going to read a couple of quotes that I loved. Um, This is a quote from Nina's book, What Would Virginia Woolf Do? A couple of years ago, Humans of New York featured a beautiful older woman who said, the world doesn't respond to me like it used to. She went on to discuss the difficult period of transition when she suddenly felt she'd become less visible and the way people treated her seemed to have changed. She realized then how many social transactions she experienced over her lifetime were based on her beauty and youth. It was upsetting, but eventually she said, there's a certain grace to letting go of the need for attention. And I just really resonated that because one of the things that uh, some of the women I interviewed with was experiencing this freedom from the male gaze. Yeah. Just not having to perform, like you said, all the time. And that can be experienced as a loss or also as a freedom. Yeah, I've been surprised when the subject of invisibility, kind of middle-aged female invisibility comes up, you really find women fall into two camps. There are women who are desperately afraid to be invisible and are saying, like, that's not going to happen to me. And there are women who are psyched and kind of embrace it and feel like they got a lot of unwanted male attention and they like the invisibility of feeling like no one cares. And and I think there's probably a continuum where you maybe you're one and then the other. Like I think in my 40s, I thought I don't want to be invisible anymore. And now that I'm 51, um, I, I don't feel invisible per se, but I like the feeling. I mean, I, I can't, I'm surprised how happy I am post 50. Like every, everyone says that that's going to happen. And I was a little doubtful, but getting to the other side of menopause and feeling now like, like it's true. No one's looking at me the same way they did when I was 25. I don't miss it at all. I feel more like powerful and fine. Like I could kind of care less who's looking at me. Um, yeah, there's a real freedom in that. I, I find yeah. like, yeah, I still want to be attractive. We, I, we all want to be attractive. And I right. and like you, you said in your book, we are still attractive to our partners a bit. I mean, who would we, whose voice do we care about? You know, uh, um, and then, you know, it's freedom. Like it's a pain to always have to look fabulous and be um, noticed all the time. And just sort of being able to relax around that a little bit is really nice. Like I can, you can't, you guys can't see me as I'm not on video. I'm wearing scrubs and I don't have any makeup on and I don't care. Like, and I could could go to the grocery store like this and nobody cares. Like, it's probably no one cared before either, but you you know, this feeling that they did is very exhausting. So Yeah, and it becomes it's interesting also to the, the distance between us now and younger women. Like I remember in my forties when I was kind of starting this process, that realization that like, oh my God, I'm not getting my period anymore. Like I'm not young. Mm-hmm. Um 
but now I just feel kind of on the other side of that divide. And I just, again, I just don't care. Like it just, you know, I think there is a transition where it's a little jarring. Well, and there's something else you said that I like. It's about, and I resonated with this too. So you're not seen in the way that we were seen when we were younger, but you can be really seen, which I loved. There's another quote I'll read. Um, For me, out in the world, I'm starting to enjoy a power in being viewed less as an object of physical beauty and more for who I am, to be truly seen. Spun that way, we actually become more visible with age. Do we really want to be recognized primarily for our desirability? What kind of attention is that really worth? So I love that idea. Like it's it's not the there's not a right or wrong different kind of visibility or a better age to be. Like twenty yeah. is better than fifty. But yeah. you know, culture definitely suggests that. Like what 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 would you say the best age is? And probably twenty two or something. I don't know. But you not know, I would, not I would fifty probably, two. <laughs> yeah. I would say probably thirty seven. I don't know. Well, that's probably when I felt the best. But like I, you know, the you know. Media would probably say something younger. I'm definitely happier now than I've ever been. So I would say 37 from a kind of, I wish I had appreciated it the most probably at 37. Yes. And I love how you write about that too. If you're young, well, probably not listening to this if you're young, but I try to say this to my kids, like your butt looks so good right now. Take lots of pictures. Wear short shorts. Wear little bitty bikinis because it's not going to always be that way. But we just, you know, we take it for it's we just, take it for granted. it's just your butt and you don't think anything about it or worse than that, you uh, complain about it, right? Yeah. No, the expression youth is wasted on the young. Is oh, really, yeah. There's a lot of truth to that. For sure. <laughs> we, you know, complaining about being not gorgeous when we're 20 something. We're so gorgeous because we're just young. It's just young. I so it's, remember that. I remember being on my honeymoon when I was 23 years old berating myself that I was too fat, that I didn't mm. look, I, I remember the self-conscious agony I was in and it, like how absurd. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we don't, we get spared from that as if we're lucky, not everyone. I mean, many of us struggle with that our whole lives, but I think the chances that we've freed ourselves a little bit from that and hopefully learned some self-love and to yeah. not give a shit about what other people think a little bit more. Yeah. It's so much freedom. And, and you also said, and I, I, I say the same thing, and I did not always have this, but you, and I don't think you did either, but you can tell me about that. You said, I'm happier with my sex life now than I've been at any other time in my life, because I'm not shy about asking what I want. I can fantasize. I'm excited to get in bed with my partner, even if we both have some inevitable age-related dysfunction from time to time. And that's so beautiful, because it... it, it we have to shift what we expect a little bit too. Like sometimes he might have ED or we might not always have an orgasm or we might have something that's not always the way we thought it would be in our twenties. It's different. I think letting go of the idea. I mean, one of the things that's really come up in our Monday night sex chats at the Wolfer is that idea of like thinking the fantasy of perfect sex is just a fantasy. Mm. In fact, I just read a really interesting article that I posted in the community um, pointing out that there's a trend now in popular culture, in media and in movies to show imperfect sex, to show bad sex. And I hadn't really thought about it, but it's true. And now I'm going to, of course, forget the examples, but it was a super interesting article pointing out, um, you know, it used to be when you saw sex in the movies, it was always like, missionary style and everyone has a you know orgasm at the same time oh yeah and it's just completely unrealistic and Mm -hmm. media is starting to show more realistic sex thank god um and sometimes some older people too like that are you know maybe over 40 
right? Totally. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's, Which, it's changing a little bit. But yeah, the I think redefining sex as we get older has been something that I've really had to work on myself as well as with uh, patients um, that come to me to get, you know, information about this, you know, because it's not always going to end in an orgasm for both people. And it doesn't have to like it. There's there's this giant menu that we have now. It's not just the one thing that we used to do when we were 20. Um, right. Which, there are all sorts of ways to be intimate and, and understanding that everyone doesn't have to have an orgasm all the time or that everyone um, doesn't have to be hard all the time. I mean, there are all sorts of there, there's just a loosening, I think, of expectations. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it comes with maturity also, I think, just the range of experiences we've had and the stories we've heard. And, and it's, again, why community is so useful, because you hear other people's stories of what works for them sexually. And um, I, I read a study recently about the more you talk about sex, the better sex you'll have. Um, mm, that's so true. And it really is true. Like This Monday night call has been really helpful in that way, because it, it, it opens up a sort of permission to kind of have more fantasy, be more open, allow things to be different ways. Who knows? Maybe tonight I'll be like using food in my sex after the Monday night. Sex. I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking about it right now. I know. I might have to, ch- to listen in. I'm thinking about like chocolate sauce, all the obvious stuff. I'm sure there's going to be way more than that. Yeah, uh, no, I have a friend who uses <laughs> Nutella. I've never used food during sex. Um, I haven't but, Never say never. That's right. You're going to try new stuff. Um, so novelty is really important. But um, I didn't talk about – I'm a gynecologist, right? You'd think that I would talk about sex all the time. Other, but I didn't. Uh, only in a clinical setting, like in a very – like around fertility or something like that. Like this, you want yeah. to have sex on these days. I mean it was very removed from any kind of deep understanding I because mean, I didn't have any – and and I think it's important for us to realize that our physicians are just regular people and they're going yeah. through the same stuff we are. Yeah. Well, I am one. I'm both got one foot in each camp. But uh, my marriage that ended after 18 years, um, we didn't talk about sex at all. Um, it was it was the thing that we didn't talk about. And yeah, that's very that's not good for relationships. And so, but there was no place to do it. You I know? think that's very common. Yeah, it's so common. It's yeah, very common and very unfortunate. And it, it yeah. does end, end does end relationships. Um, so you you actually have an even more optimistic view of this than I developed through my research study. So I have a really optimistic perspective of menopause, and in my study, most of the women I studied didn't. So I'm I'm super. You know, most of the women that I studied did not have a. Um, Good libido after 40, you know, libido declining, not feeling good about their bodies, being stuck in resentment and relationships that weren't working. So I'm super excited to hear that there is a maybe bigger group than I thought who does have this optimism because it's 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 real. You know? Yeah, I mean, we. I remember once actually a post, I think when we were still on Facebook, someone posted and said, it was actually pretty funny. She said, I'm really sick of hearing all your good sex stories, like to all the women <laughs> in the community. And she was like, I don't even believe that all of you are having so much sex. And it made us stop and realize, like we had to say, like, look, obviously not everyone is having lots of sex. Not everyone is feeling good about their sex lives. There's a huge range. What we want to help women talk about is to acknowledge that and to, if you're not having sex and you want to be having sex, why don't we talk about why you're not having sex or why you're not enjoying it? Or, And it's also a perfectly reasonable 
option if you don't want to have sex or you don't want to enjoy sex. Like everything is okay. What we want is for people to feel freedom to talk about it. Yeah. They don't feel so alone. Which is beautiful because um, I am absolutely certain that almost everybody wants to have great sex. I've met a few people who genuinely are happy being asexual and that's great, but they're rare. And frankly, I'm a little skeptical, honestly, when I come across them, (laughs) but that's my own judgment. But almost everybody uh, wants to have great sex. And uh, so many of us are not finding it. Uh, And I totally agree with you. The first thing we need to do is talk about it with other women, maybe first, and then with our partners, if we have one. But, you know, we can't communicate what works if we don't know what works. So, um, I right. love and it's, the, hard. It's, yeah. it's not easy. I mean, I don't, and also with each relationship, it's different. Right. And, you know, I mean, and all of us have bring different psychological, you know, they're the women who have the best sex with the worst men. They're the women, you know, they're all sorts mm. of things that come into play. Um, yeah, it's a two, if you have two people, assuming we're talking about a couple, because we, you know, there's a lot to be said about self-stimulation too. So I love that you open up the conversation around that, which is huge. Because I, I teach that so, it's so profound that you can't pass on how to make your own body work unless you know how to do it yourself. So really allowing women to explore their own bodies. But yeah, it's to, assuming there's two people, there's a different chemistry with every every interaction, right? It's like totally different. So to have to start over. Yeah. And there are phases also, I mean, I find like hormonally or, you know, I don't feel like with menopause, I've ever really lost my libido. Not yet. Let's hope it doesn't happen. Um, But we certainly have phases. And I do think that masturbation is crucial. Like I didn't start using a vibrator till I was in my forties. I think I was 40 when I bought my first vibrator. Um, And I was never even much of a masturbator when I was young. Um, It's really something that developed more as I got older. And I do think it's for me, anyway, it's been crucial, that understanding of my body. Like, it seems like something that everyone should do. Well, man, we don't get taught anything. We've talked about that. Like, it's shocking yeah. that we're not taught anything about our body. So men are taught less than that. <laughs> so, I mean, I cannot imagine. I've sometimes tried to imagine what it would be like being a man. Like, how terrifying trying to give a woman an orgasm if she's not communicating with you. I'd be horrible. I, I think it must be horrible, particularly if you're only taught by porn. Right. And also, poor men have the whole problem with penis size, like agony. You know, they're always That's worried so about much. So between porn and their penis size, and then you're suddenly confronted with a real woman. Uh, yeah. It's no tough. idea what to do. Yeah. Unless we can tell them. Right. I and mean, then, of course, we also have the, 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 there are women who lie about orgasms, yeah. know, pretend fake orgasms. And I understand why it happens, but it doesn't help anyone because then there's a whole class of men who think women are having a good time and they're not. No. Oh, that's just <laughs> a slippery slope. Right. <laughs> no, no. That's bad. Just if it's not working, please tell him. Otherwise, he's going to do the same thing again and again. Poor <laughs> next girlfriend and the one after that. And he keeps gaining confidence and he's completely ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. So this is why we need to talk about this stuff, because I had not thought about that. But, yeah, um, it's yeah. we you know, I'm surrounded by women because I'm a gynecologist. Everybody who works in my office is a woman. So I I have very little uh, direct communication with 
males of our species. So I don't know how they work either. They seem quite straightforward, honestly. But um, you just, you know, we've got to put ourselves in their shoes a little bit too. And this whole thing with ED that happens to men our age, you've already talked about penis size being a huge thing. If they're not able to perform or if we don't have an orgasm, they're going to think it's their fault. And there's all kinds of psychology that's going on on that side, too, that I think is so important to understand. Um, and ha- we can't do that if we're not communicating. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's easy for us to fall into, you know, you have to be careful about feeling angry at men because, because yeah, I mean, just like us, obviously, they're having feelings about all this, too, and needs, too. And, um, I mean, I think that's something that we do have some responsibility for, for helping talk to men and explain things and, and obviously raising boys. I mean, it's funny, actually, it just occurred to me, like I have one son and three daughters and I think that my son's gotten a lot of information from his sisters, but he really didn't, hasn't gotten any real sexual guidance from me. And maybe that's a mistake. Like maybe I should have talked to him a little bit more about sex. I don't know. And that's a tricky thing. Yeah, but chances are you wouldn't talk to him about things that are going to happen to him when he's 50. And, you know, these guys, I have a pretty good idea when they go see their urologist or whomever is giving them their ED medicine, they're not having a long heart-to-heart about it. It's like, like, okay, well, the guy can't get it. It's like, yep, I got it, so here's your Viagra. Like, mm But, uh, I remember that was actually one of the first questions because at the time when I started the community, I was married to a guy who had a lot of ED issues and um, we're divorced now. But um, I was like, what's the difference between Viagra and Cialis? And how come it's like, I don't I, I don't even know what it's like for women to deal with these ED drugs. It was one of the many questions that drove me to start the community. Like, I just wanted to talk about it. Like, do they take it every day? Is it was one better than the other? You know, what's the... So it's, it is amazing how hard it is to... Um, to just get have these conversations. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we, yeah, just a little bit more about that because it's so common uh, in men who are our age. We're, I'm 53, so Nina's a couple years younger than me, but we're in the same age-ish. And if we're with oh, yeah. men who are in, in their 50s, their chances are going to have this. And so, first of all, it's not our fault. So it's not our fault and it's not his fault, (laughs) just sort of taking all the blame out of it and then being able to have a kind, empathetic conversation around it because it's, uh, you know, so much. Totally. And in in my experience, the drugs really work. I mean, there's all sorts of different issues. You know, the the one experience I really had with it, he I don't know how common it is for men to lie about whether they're using them, but that was definitely, that's, it's, that's a whole funny thing. Like men who use them, but don't tell you they're using them. And then you get into a relationship with them and eventually it comes out. That's a kind of funny dynamic. Um, But, but also the drugs do perform. Like, I, I don't even know if there's, there's probably more than two, but Viagra and Cialis, they perform differently. And so, you know, there's a lot of kind of information you want to be able to like, just understand, but they do work. And, um, yeah, so in the, it's sort of the same on the flip side of the vaginal dryness thing that we don't talk about. Like, it'd be really great for him to understand that, and it'd be really great for under, us to understand their issues. And this is such a, I can't, like, my parents, I'm just thinking about my parents talking about any of these things, and, like, no chance <laughs> that would ever happen. And so we're we're sort of the first generation, I think, that has this possibility of being able to have a partnership where you can talk about this stuff with your partner, you know, male or female, or or even if you're single, to be able to, you know, have the freedom to um, self pleasure and not apologize and be like, people do this. This is and this is normal. 
Yeah, and hopefully you can laugh about it. We right. can laugh about it because it does. Because sometimes it is uncomfortable, and um, but it's just so human. Yeah, so and, so human. And I, one of the things I love about your book is it's so freaking funny. And so when you take a subject that can be so dreadful and dark and gloomy, it's really helpful to lighten it up a little bit. And so I so appreciate that because uh, you, you know there's these giant menopause, you know. Bibles that are like thick and scientific and that's just not helpful. I mean, it's great to reference or whatever, but I mean, it's not going to make you feel warm and fuzzy and connected. Yeah. Um, so it's funny. I don't, it's funny. I always say, I don't consider myself like that funny. I was surprised actually that I wrote a funny book, but my model, I don't know if you remember when we were all pregnant a million years ago, there was what to expect when you're expecting. Mm-hmm. And then there, which was like the serious book. And then there was the girlfriend's guide, to yes. the girlfriend's guide to pregnancy by Vicki Iovine, which I thought was the funniest book. And so when I set out to write this book, I kind of wanted it to be a little bit like that. Yeah. Well, it worked because it's really funny. And I think if you can, if you can, communicate these really tricky touchy subjects in a way that's a little bit lighter and doesn't drive you down like a shame spiral (laughs) first of all you're going to get the information secondly it's just really fun to read and so uh, you guys go read that book and um, I can't it's again called what would Virginia Woolf do and we talked earlier about why the title is and I think that's so ironically hilarious and that I feel sort of bad about thinking that's funny but that's sort of why I know it's so good me, I feel, <laughs> had I known it was going to be had I known that five years later I'd still be saying it to larger audiences I probably would have called it something different but well, it did make me laugh and it still does it it does because it's I think that's exactly it's sort of I don't know it encapsulates the whole experience it's like really dark and tragic but it's not also it's sort of light and funny so sort of got both and going on so I think the title's brilliant um so you know we've talked about this whole doom and gloom perception that culture throws on us and your book kind of blows that up and I my book I hope sort of blew that up too um how did that work for you I mean you talked a little bit so we talked about your menopause journey starting all of this but is there something that I had this sort of awakening experience. I mean, did you have something like that or what led to your discovering this optimism and loving your 50s thing? You know, when I, when, I was, when I started it and I was 46 and I was definitely feeling my second marriage was soon ended, I think a couple of years into it and my kids were leaving for college and I was feeling, I think, a lot of the anxiety and depression that often comes with perimenopause and I was having hot flashes and so eventually I went on HRT on a low dose of HRT. Um, I take, I have an estradiol patch 0.0025 and I take a hundred milligrams of progesterone a day. And I've been doing that for like a year and a half. Um, and I haven't had a period in three years, I think. Um, and suddenly I just, I don't know. I just feel better than I've ever felt. So I'd say, I'd say the hormones really helped kind of getting over the hump. Women would say to me in the community, Oh, it gets so much better when you're past menopause. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, It just, for me, seems to really be true. There's something about, I I also don't feel as much anymore. Like I have, I have so much to prove like I did still in my forties. I think, you know, there's a lot of pressure through all those years of child rearing and um, career and I just feel lighter. It's the freedom, I think, of having my kids pretty much on their own. Like, I know your kids are still at home. 
I've got four kids. They're all, I mean, they're still young adults. They're kind of college, grad school. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a big relief to have them out of the house and kind of doing okay. And um, Yeah, you've done like your that. job. Like they turned out yeah. well. And <laughs> yeah. I'm finally in a really good relationship. That also plays mm -hmm. a big role in it. I had a lot of, as so many of us do, a lot of struggles with men. I've had two marriages and, you know, a million boyfriends. And, um, but I do feel now like I'm, I'm probably in the healthiest love relationship of my life, knock on wood. Amazing. Um, so, you know, I mean, and I have all the fears that we all do. I, you know, I fear getting cancer like my mom did. I fear, you know, I'm, my cholesterol is getting higher, uh, which often happens in menopause. And so I'm kind of trying to figure that out and whether I should go on statins, like the reality of getting older and of there's so much good and bad, right? There's the reality ultimately of feeling irrelevant of like not being as vital. We're not millennials anymore. No one's really looking to our generation for all the answers. There's kind of, mm -hmm. uh, it's very important to me that the Wolfer community be again, that it's a place where we can really be honest about the good and the bad, you know, so you don't have to pretend all the time that everything's so great. Like everything is not so great about aging, but there is a lot that really is great. Yeah. Um, well, that's, I think that's so important. Like the whole thing, right? There's 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. If we just sort of pretend everything's great all the time and ignore the unpleasant stuff. Right. We're it's just like repressing it. Yeah. It's dark and it's also funny. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and really you can, 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 can can we hold both? And in my case, it's been really um, so eye-opening for me to learn that you can choose which one you pay more attention to. <laughs> so yes. I learned that through my meditation practice, and I, you, you and I have talked about that before. But, yeah, not ignoring one or the other, but you can choose which one you pay more attention to. Am I going to sit around and just recycle negative thoughts and, like, go down a hypochondriac spiral or focus on the other stuff? And that can completely change your attitude, That's at least it does for me. Such a good point, Susan. And the other thing I've really learned that I think has made my life better as I've gotten older is I've learned that when I'm in a bad headspace, I really know that in a couple of days I'll feel better. It's not permanent. Like I just, you know, I yeah. just know this is going to shift. And like, I just had a work disappointment a couple of weeks ago or a setback. We're, we're really trying to, um, figure out how to get more funding or to be bought or to, to have more resources of the Wolfer. And, um, we got close to something and then it backed off and it'll be fine. But I had a couple of days where I was really feeling depressed and I thought it just wasn't that bad. Cause I just thought, I know I'm going to, it'll be fine. Like in a couple of days, I will see this in a slightly different way. My perspective will shift. I will rebound. I will deal with it. And that's exactly what's happened. Like I'm fine. It's yeah. all good. You know? That's that's the most amazing lesson. You can't get that when you're young. I think that's one of the best things about being mature is that I you so agree. Learn about impermanence and that it's not the end of the world. That this too shall pass. Whether it's great, that's going to pass too. So make the most of it. Or whether it doesn't feel great, it's not forever. So, you know, I exactly. see my my teenagers as teenagers do. Anything good or bad they think is permanent. Like you know, this is going to be forever, and it's it's not. And that is the source of so much suffering. So that's a great thing about getting older. So I love talking about hormone replacement. So I want to pick up on and other stuff that helps us to feel better. So I take hormone replacement too. So we both do some bioidentical hormone replacement and that helped me dramatically. And then we've also talked about some other things that we can do to counter the, you know, there is this inevitable 
body change that happens with aging, including blood loss to the clitoris and just innervation becomes less sensitive and all those things, vaginal dryness, all the stuff that we know happens. Um, so hormone replacement, that's one thing we can do, and you and I both benefiting from that. And then um, the O-shot we've talked about before when I was on your podcast, yep. which and you, <laughs> most people you know. Me. Yes. So so I apparently inspired Nina to go get one, which if, if you haven't heard of it, it's all on my website, but it's a platelet-rich plasma that can be injected into the clitoris. So I've had it. I told Nina I thought it was amazing. What? So what happened? I didn't hear the rest of the story. So we went, you know, on my podcast, you were talking about it. And I really just like you so much. I feel like you're you know, a new friend. I can't wait to meet you in person. And so Susan told me it was great for her. And I was like, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. So I called a salon in New York. I told them I would write about it. I negotiated a little bit of a discount. Um, I went in. And I had it done and it, I wrote about it actually. There's a piece on our website, I think called the O-Shot Experience. Um, but basically it didn't work for me and it was so expensive. Hmm. It was, was $2,500, although they gave me a discount. So I only paid 1900, which amazingly my accountant thinks I can write off because it really was research. So it's not that bad, but I had it done. They tell you to wait like eight or nine weeks. They say it takes nine weeks, I guess, for new. Re- yeah. New like eight to 12 weeks is what I say. Mm-hmm. But my orgasms are completely the same. I mean, they're not bad. I mean, one of the, you know, maybe my orgasms are as good as they can possibly be. It's not like I have bad orgasms. Hmm. Part of my motivation was that I do feel sometimes like it's a little harder to achieve orgasm yeah. in the last year or so. Um, and I also just, I was honestly inspired by your description of I think you said the guy at Starbucks brushing against a guy at Starbucks turns oh, you on. I yeah, like, I still have. Really I still have that where if I have like a sexy thought or like, I mean, God forbid, like someone blowing my ear or something, I go, oh, like I can feel the blood rush down there. But uh, you might have that already. I don't know. But I guess no, you know, I don't think things- I do. I, I think what they told me at the place where I got it done is because like, I said, well, what if there is no effect? And they did say you can come in for a touch up, which I haven't bothered. But um then they kind of suggested, well, then, it, you know, there could be psychological issues. In my case, I don't think that's the issue. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think sometimes you know, doctors, think maybe, if something doesn't work, we're going to blame it on something else. But maybe sometimes it doesn't always work. But maybe sometimes it doesn't always work or maybe you it's can just individual. still or, give it a try. Yeah, I and mean, then, I, I was glad to give it a try. And I, I was interested just to see all the things that they offered. And actually, I was inspired. The woman who administered it was a young GYN, she was double boarded in GYN in primary care and she had a practice elsewhere, but she worked at this clinic two days a week. And I said, why? And she said, because I really believe that there are a lot of solutions for women that aren't offered in a conventional medical setting and that people aren't listening to women enough. And I think this is super important. And I was inspired by that. Well, good for her if she was young, because um, most young doctors don't have a clue. So that's also really expensive, but it's New York. I but guess. It's New York. Yeah, I in know. Houston, it's like half of that, but just FYI, wow. the prices, yeah. I guess, or whatever people charge. Yeah. But that's the thing. So hormones, um, you know, for vaginal dryness, for mood, hot flashes, testosterone. I have a testosterone pellet. Did you try that? That, was, that I have not tried that. That was interesting to me, and I did mm-hmm. ask my gynecologist about it, and she was horrified. Of course, because if you don't know about it, you will be horrified because you. And she's also like thirty-eight years old. My new because my yeah. old gynecologist just retired, which was super sad. So I have this baby gynecologist, um, but it is kind of on my radar to think about. Yeah, that's another cool thing. So, 
Uh, I was in this group too. When I did not know about it, because doctors have a big problem with um, having to be right about everything, and we come from this culture where if we don't know about something, we just think it's not true. And that's how we're taught, and so it's not our fault, you know. But when I didn't know about testosterone, I said it was stupid too, because I didn't know about it. And then when I learned about it, I was like, oh, maybe it's not. And so it, that's another thing that can really help sex drive, just by the way. So, so Nina, maybe I'll inspire you to do that too. Or you can yes, fly down exactly. to Houston and we'll hook you up. So um, I could talk to you for days, but I know, it's apparently, really fun talking to apparently we don't have days. But what's your, what, what are you most excited about right now? What's your passion you know, you've got so many uh, things going things. on. Two things. One is like not remotely connected to work, but it's kind of funny. I just did the craziest thing. I bought a house online in a foreclosure auction from a website and I'm going to close on it next week. And it's like a piece of junk house near me here in Springs and I'm going to have to renovate it. And I'm doing it as an investment project. But the fact that I bought something in foreclosure at auction online, I think is really funny and very like a little risky and crazy. Like I haven't even been inside this house yet because you can't go inside when they're right. selling it this way. So that's a big adventure. And I'm, and, and I, I'm excited because I also, as I said, my kids are mostly done with college and I feel a little bit like I can breathe financially. And I feel like this is going to be, I've done a lot of renovation in the past. So I feel like this is going to be a fun project. So that I'm excited about for this year. That and makes me that oh I didn't mean to interrupt. But that makes me think about so my idea about just being open to possibility, which is one of the secrets in the secrets of the sexually woke. This yes. whole idea, I, that's just like that's crazy and cool, and you can, and so why not? Like yes, that's exactly right, Susan. I, yeah. I love you. You're that's exactly right. Like I'm a big believer in. Like my boyfriend thought I was crazy. He's of course, like, what are you doing? That's not responsible. And the thing is, like I know what the risks are. I'm good about money. I'm super responsible. Like I'm. I, I think it's going to be fine. I know what I'm doing and having the confidence and the bravery to just be like, and, and also being independent. It's so great to not have to answer to some partner mm-hmm. to just be like, this is what I'm doing. Cause I know what I'm doing and this is what I want to do. Yeah, I don't have to ask permission. Um, I love that. Yeah. It's really empowering. So, and, and it'll be fun. I think also just to have a creative project. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. And then the other really, uh, honestly, in the last five years, I'd say, since my kids have kind of started to get launched, the biggest stress for me is work, is the Wolfer community. How do I, how do I grow it? How do I make it bigger? I really feel like I really believe in what we're doing and I love the women and we get so much out of it. So my challenge this year is um, how to find us more resources so we can really grow. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. I mean, what a great thing to be doing. And Yeah, and, it's really fun. And it's we very- need you to do it. So hopefully we I can, we can, everybody can help you to do this because it's, it's so helpful. Um, so thank you for doing that. And we could talk forever and hopefully you'll come back and talk to me again. But in the meantime, I think everybody should go to the wolfer.com, which is, um, T H E W O O L F E R.com and check out everything on Nina Collins website. And just don't do it unless you've got like two days well you can but just realize you'll be on there a lot because it's got so much interesting stuff that um will blow your mind and then get this book because it's really really funny what would virginia wolf do by nina collins and it's hilarious and will make you feel all warm and fuzzy and connected with all the things that you think that are wrong with you because there's nothing wrong with you so (laughs) thank you so much it's really so fun to talk to you i can't wait till we have a drink in person oh me too let's do it soon 
Thank we you. Will. Thanks for joining me. And I will talk. I, I'm going to see you tonight. I'm going to check into uh, sex and food tonight. Oh, so, come. Good. So, Please talk yes. about whipped cream and I don't know what. We'll- yes. Well, this is going to air. <laughs> this is going to air after the show on sex and food. But every Monday, if you go on the website, uh, there's a sex talk um, that you can check out with. Uh, yes, it's totally included. The yeah. membership in the Wolfer is $35 mm-hmm. a year. And included in that is all of our programming, everything. So it's there's a newsletter there. There's a social platform where you can chat like on Facebook. There are Zoom groups, there are book clubs, there's Monday night sex chat. We have an unlearning racism program. We have movie nights. We have all sorts of fun stuff and it's all included. amazing. OK, thirty five dollars a year. Like that's just you have to do that. Everyone should do that. Um, thank you, Nina. Well, it's so thank good to you. see you. And uh, thanks for being with me. I'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you later. Take okay, care. Bye bye. Bye-bye.